We're looking at Luke chapter 16, verses 1 to 15. Jesus told his disciples, There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management, because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, What shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do, so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, How much do you owe my master? 800 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 400. Then he asked the second, And how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, Take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No servant can serve two masters, Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees, who loved money, heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of men, but God knows your hearts. What is highly valued among men is detestable in God's sight. I'm just going to pray quickly um, as Rowan comes to speak to us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, that you've given it to us, that we might know you better um, and know Jesus and know how to live as your people. Lord, we pray as we uh, read your word and hear from it today that your spirit would be giving us understanding and that we would not only remember these words, but put them into action in our lives. Amen. Great to see you here at the EU public meeting. Last week I shared with you a story about going to see a financial planner. Hand up for you here last week. You heard me tell that story. Very interesting experience earlier this year. Never been to see a financial planner before. It was very eye-opening, which I guess is the point of going to see a financial planner. The whole point of seeing a financial planner is to become a shrewd investor. That's why you go to see a financial planner. So you can know what to do with your present stuff. So you can be wise, shrewd, user of your present stuff in light of the future. The point about seeing a financial planner is not telling you how should I spend my money now, what breakfast cereal I should buy now or what holiday I should go on now. The financial planner is all about being far-sighted, looking to the future. And he's trying to give me advice on how I should be a shrewd investor now in light of the future. So he's talking to me things like about superannuation, What will be your income stream when you are 70 years old? Now, I know I look old compared to you, but that's still a long way away for me, right? And so he's helping me try to think about these long-term future 
realities and invest wisely in the moment. He was asking me about income insurance. He says, do you have income insurance so that if you get terribly sick and use up all your sick leave in your job, where will the money come from to keep your family in bread and food and water and clothes? Have you got a secure income insurance? And then he said, what about life insurance? And I thought, well, I don't need life insurance. I'm already living. (laughs) And then I realised, no, life insurance is just a nice way of talking about death insurance. (laughs) It's what happens if you die. Who will provide for your family then on that terrible day? See, the financial planner's job is to be far-sighted and help you to be a shrewd, wise investor now in the light of that far-sightedness. Does that make sense? It was a very interesting experience. And when I come and read the particular chapter of the Bible that we just read then, from Luke chapter 16, what strikes me about the, the great financial planner I saw, who really was excellent, and he was well, he's a Christian as well, he's a follower of the Lord Jesus, But what strikes me now as I reflect on that experience in light of Luke 16 is tragically I fear he was not far-sighted enough. See, Jesus is an incredible financial planner. I know that you've never thought of Jesus in those terms. You've thought about him as a prophet, as a priest, as a king even, as a great holy one. But no, he is an amazing financial planner. So in your Bible there, I don't know what little heading the editors have put into your Bible, whatever it is, cross it out. Basically just write Jesus financial planning advice so that you remember in the future where you should go. I know there's somewhere in the Bible that Jesus gives financial planning advice. Here it is, this Luke chapter 16. And what you notice here is Jesus does what all good financial planners do. He's incredibly far-sighted. But when I compare his far-sightedness compared to the great financial planner I saw earlier this year, I realise tragically that man was not far-sighted enough to truly know how to invest wisely today with what God has put at my disposal. So let's turn to Luke 16. Let's listen to Jesus' financial advice and I hope you've strapped yourself in because it might be an unexpected ride. Okay? Much like last week, if you were here. Three headings you can see there on the board. Three parts of Jesus' shrewd financial investment advice. Shrewd investing, number one, Earn a welcome. Earn a welcome. And that's from verses 1 to 9 of chapter 16. Hope you've got it open in front of you or at least looking on with the person next to you. That will be really helpful. Or call it up on your phone. Let's listen to what Jesus has to say. Notice chapter 16 verse 1. Jesus told his disciples. Jesus is speaking to people who have attached themselves to Jesus. Say, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a Christian. I'm following him. This is his advice to those people. If it's you... It's his advice to you. It's in the form of a story, one of his famous parables. There was a rich man, he says, whose manager or steward, person he employed to look after his household, it's a rich man whose manager or steward was accused of wasting his possessions. So the rich man called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you can be my manager no longer. I've heard what they've said about you. You're fired. This guy is now out of a job. This manager, this steward, who is meant to look after the rich man's possessions. 
What does this, how does this manager respond? Verse 3, the manager steward said to himself, what shall I do now? My, ma- my master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg, which means he's sort of weak and a wimp. <laughs> I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. Now, this guy is not after some dinner invitation you know, for his social life when he says, welcome me into their houses. What's his job? His job is to be a manager, a steward of a household. He's looking for the next job. I want them to welcome me into their house so I might be a manager for them. He's trying to secure his next position. And he's come up with a plan. I wonder what his plan is. (coughs) Write a really nice CV with a pretty picture on the front. Make up some, some degrees or qualifications. I mean, he's a dishonest guy. Who knows what he might do? What's his plan? Let's have a look. Verse 5. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, How much do you owe my master? 3,000 litres of olive oil, he replied. Now, that's a lot of olive oil. Right? Clearly his master was very rich. Right? This guy owes the master 3,000 litres of olive oil. The manager told him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, make it 1500 He halves what he owes to his master. Now, has he got authority to do this? Has the master said, yeah, yeah, yeah? No. This is entirely his own idea. He's already been dishonest, right? We don't know how, but he's already been ripping off his master. Now he decides, last throw of the dice, well, what have I got to lose? He goes for it. He halves the bill of these debtors. Why? so that they will owe him a favour. So they will say, I'd prefer to have you working for me than against me, maybe, or something, I don't know. So they're going to give him some sort of job. And then he does it again. Then he asks the second, how much do you owe? 30 tonnes of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill, make it 24. This guy's trying to get himself a job. Notice then, verse 8, how the master responds. And this is maybe one of the most troubling sort of statements of Jesus to try to wrap your head around. What does he mean here? The master commended the dishonest manager, who he's just fired, because he had acted shrewdly. What's, What's going on here? Why would this rich master commend the steward, the dishonest manager, who's just ripped him off even yet again, even after he's fired him, before he could get him off his property? It's because he recognises, even though here he has not done anything good for the master, he's behaved dishonestly, true to his character, but he recognises financial smarts when he sees them. He recognises shrewdness. I don't like what you've done. Hats off to you because, you know, you've already got fired and I guess you've, you've, you've worked out a way to get your next job. There's cleverness there. I don't like it, but it's clever. He commends him for his shrewdness. And then notice what Jesus says. For the people of this world, he says, are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, then he says, to his disciples, his followers, use worldly wealth 
to gain friends for yourselves, just like the dishonest manager was doing, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal homes. Jesus is saying, this dishonest manager in my story, he was very shrewd. He used the possessions that he had at his disposal. They weren't his. But he used them to secure a welcome, to earn a welcome, if you like, into someone else's home. And Jesus is saying, you know what? The people of this world, they are smarter when it comes to finances than the Christians, than God's own people. God's people don't think far-sightedly enough. They are not using the possessions they have at their disposal now to gain themselves a welcome into the eternal homes. They're just thinking about the here and now. But even those who don't know God, the people of this world, even they are smart enough to use what they've got now shrewdly to secure a next gig. But if you call yourself a Christian, a follower of Jesus, are you using what God has put at your disposal now to secure yourself a welcome into the eternal homes? What would that look like? What does it mean to be given a welcome into the eternal homes? I think we get an example, actually an anti-example. Jesus gives us one later in the chapter. If you jump down to uh, verse 19, you can see Jesus tells another, another parable of Lazarus, a guy called Lazarus and a rich man, which is an anti-example. This is a case where the rich man in this parable, the rich man here, did not secure for himself a welcome into the eternal homes. This rich man, though he is very rich, he is not a shrewd investor. It is the anti-example. Okay? Let's have a look at it here. Verse 19, Jesus says, There was a rich man, and he emphasises how rich this guy was, who was dressed in purple, the most expensive cloth of the ancient world, and fine linen, which one commentator says, you all, that's talking about your underwear. This dude's so rich, he's wearing fancy, fancy underwear. Purple on top, but fancy linen underneath. And he lived in luxury every day. We're talking, Jesus, I'm sure Jesus meant chocolate croissants. Morning, noon and night. Every day. Luxury. You go, that's not luxury, that's a basic necessity. Oh, you bourgeois. <laughs> right? This, this guy is uber rich. Uber rich. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. You've got a rich man and a beggar. Rich man clothed in purple. Beggar clothed in sores. Rich man eating in luxury every day. The beggar, Lazarus, desperate to eat that half-thrown-away croissant that fell from the rich man's table this morning. Rich man doing nothing for the beggar at his gate. The dogs have more compassion on Lazarus than the rich man. They come and soothe his sores. Rich man walks past him every day. What happens? 
The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried in Hades, place of the dead, where he was in torment. He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so they will not also come to this place of torment. And Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets, that is, they have the Old Testament law. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. Abraham said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. Here's the anti-example. Here's a guy who had it all, enjoyed a life of incredible luxury now, who spent it on himself and didn't give any of it, didn't do anything to alleviate Lazarus' situation. And when it comes to the eternal homes, the rich man is not welcomed, is he, by Lazarus. He cannot be. A great chasm separates them. So just from putting those two stories together, What do you think it means to earn a welcome into the eternal homes? It's to use the possessions that God puts at your disposal now to alleviate the needs of those around you. Because then on that final day, as you show compassion to Christian brothers and sisters who are in desperate need, on that final day in the new creation, they will say to you, oh, it's so good to see you because I remember what you did with what the Lord had given you and how that really helped me when I was in desperate need. Come, stay with me for the next thousand years. You'll be welcomed into eternal homes and not just one, but home after home after home as you earn a welcome. Do you see how far-sighted that is? That, Jesus says, is shrewd investment of what you have in your bank account this afternoon. Earn a welcome into eternal hopes. Um, Last year, as Jenny and I, my wife and I, we were thinking about how are we using the possessions that God has put into our care, how are we being a good steward of the things that we have, possessions and money and stuff like that, thinking about Every year we try to do this. What what are we going to give to this year? How are we going to give God's money back to God's work? And uh, as we were thinking about it, we realised that when we we first got married, actually, 17 years ago, we made a decision that there were going to be three things we were going to give to every year until we go to glory. We're going to give to our local church to support the work of the gospel there. We're going to give to an overseas mission society, to a parachurch organisation to to further the work of the gospel overseas because that needs Christian support. 
and we were going to support the EU graduates fund. We were actually going to support the work of the EU here. Was well, I, I never anticipated that I'd be here working as I am now, but we decided all those years ago, we're going to, we've both come through the EU, been blessed by that, right? It needs the support of Christian people. We'll give our money to... So we said, right, that every year we give to those three organisations, right? And on top of that, we then give a whole lot of other stuff away to all sorts of other Christian ministries, other people in need, or that's yeah, all the stuff we give away on top. But we realised last year, we actually weren't giving anything regularly to anything that's trying to alleviate poverty, particularly amongst God's people worldwide. And so we decided, right, we should do that. That, like, part of this message here is that shrewd investment, right? And so we thought, well, what could we do? So just for us, we've got five children that the Lord's blessed us with, which is fantastic. We thought, well, we've got five children. Why don't we take on five compassion children? So the Compassion Christian Agency, which seeks to do good work amongst Christian children in other countries who live in poverty. And so we said, right, we've got five of our own kids. That's no excuse to be less generous. That's more incentive to be more generous, right? And so we thought, we'll take on five compassion kids as well. And so we're doing that as well now. And when you read this chapter and then you think about it, think, how cool will it be in the new creation when we rock up and there's a bunch of people that go, uh, the camps, awesome. <laughs> how cool that you're here because by God's grace, you used what he'd entrusted to you to help me and me and me and me. <laughs> Come stay with us for the next thousand years and then you can go on to their place. Earn a welcome into eternal homes. Jesus says that is shrewd investment advice. But we're more like the rich, but we're like, like the um, rich man in the second parable, aren't we? We like to store it up for ourselves and live in luxury and why not get the iPhone 5? I mean... No one thinks it's any better really than the iPhone 4, but hey, it's the latest and the greatest, so you just... What's shrewd investment? Okay, so I spent most of my time there on that first heading. Shrewd investment advice, number one, earn a welcome. Second piece of shrewd investment advice from Jesus. Number two, be trustworthy with the little that God has presently entrusted to you. Be trustworthy with the little that God has presently entrusted to you. You can see this in verses 10 to 12. Jesus goes on, after telling the the parable of that dishonest steward, he says, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. That's just a truism, right? I know that I've talked to so many university students now over the years who reassure me all the time that, look, when I finally get out of uni and finally get a real job, you know, that pays, you know, at least 50 grand, right, a proper graduate job, then I will start being generous at the moment. Because at the moment, realistically, I do not have very much. I mean, 15, 20, 25 grand a year, but that's not actually very much money in the big scheme of things. And so, it'd be unreasonable to be very generous with what I've got now when I get... Let me just tell you, I've seen the truth of Jesus' words lived out time and time again. Those who prove trustworthy in a very, when they have a very little, they are trustworthy when they have a lot. And those who are not trustworthy when they have a very little, it doesn't all change when they get a lot. 
It's just a truism. See how Jesus applies it. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? Again, Jesus is much more far-sighted even than me. He's not thinking about what you do when you graduate. He's thinking about the new creation. If you've not been trustworthy in this life with the little, in inverted commas, that you've received, how will you, why do you think you'll be trustworthy with a lot in the new creation? And if you're not proving trustworthy with a property that God entrusts to you now, which is everything you own, right? The earth is the Lord's and everything, and it's all His property. He's entrusting it to you. If you're not proving trustworthy in that now, why would He give to you something of your own in the age to come? Wise investment advice that is truly far-sighted, that looks all the way into the new creation, says, be trustworthy now with what he's given you. Be trustworthy with it now. Now that raises a bit of a question for me. What, what does it look like to be trustworthy with what you've got now? We've talked a little bit about that, but in some ways it's always dangerous to build a whole course of action based on just one particular passage. You want to read what Jesus says here in the light of what he says in other parts of the New Testament. In fact, in light of the Scriptures as a whole. So what I'm going to do for you in the next three minutes is give you my brief, ultra-brief sort of this is what being trustworthy with money and possessions looks like according to the Bible spiel in three minutes. Here it is, all up on the board, ready for you. I'm just going to jot up some Bible references as we go. So you might like to jot this down. I think, how do you... So the question is, how do you be trustworthy with the stuff God's giving you? The basic principle from the Scriptures is this. Use God's stuff for God's purposes. Okay, use God's stuff for God's purposes. Okay, so what out of what you have, what's, which bit is God's stuff? The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Okay, so everything you've got is God's stuff. So use, use all that he's put into your control. Use all of that for God's purposes. What are his purposes? Well, we've been reading for Luke's Gospel this year. We know that God's purposes are all about his kingdom. What are the values of his kingdom? What's life like in his kingdom? Well, we know some things from Luke's Gospel. One of the things we saw today, we saw it last week in Luke chapter 12 as well particularly, is one of the things that, are, that is meant to represent kingdom ethics, kingdom behaviour, is caring for the poor. We saw that in Luke chapter 12 when Jesus said to his disciples, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Your Father wants to give you the kingdom. Don't be afraid. So caring for those who are in need is clearly one part of what it means to be part of God's kingdom. But that's not the only thing. If you go to Luke chapter 10, Jesus in Luke chapter 10 is sending out the 72 disciples on mission. They're going out to proclaim Jesus and the kingdom of God, the good news of the kingdom of God in all these towns. And one of the things Jesus says to them is, don't take any stuff with you. Don't take bags or money. or Don't worry about that. As you proclaim the gospel in each town, just, just receive whatever people give you. And then he articulates the principle, that is those who are proclaiming the kingdom, they should be provided for by those who are receiving the blessings of the kingdom. 
the worker deserves their wages. The gospel worker deserves to be supported. So you can see the principle here of what does it look like in sort of financial um, use of finances in the kingdom. It means providing for the poor and providing for proclamation. There's at least two we can draw out of Luke's gospel. But that's not, the, that's not the only thing we can say. That's part of being a trust, trust, using these things trust, in a trustworthy way. Other sort of things we can bring in from wider parts of the New Testament. Uh, there's a principle, I think, in Galatians chapter 6, where Paul, the Apostle, encourages Christians to do good to all, especially to the household of faith, especially to the Christian family, right? Brothers and sisters in Christ. The principle there that Christians are not only trying to be generous and kind towards Christians, we're to be do good to all people. We're to care for the poor around the world, wherever they are. But we are to be especially concerned for Christian poor. Why is that? Why especially? Well, it's partly because the way we treat one another as brothers and sisters in Christ is testimony to the reality of Jesus. They will know you are Christians by your love. The way Christians care for each other is testimony to the world about the reality of Jesus. We love like we say he loved us and they see it lived out in the Christian community. So we're to do good to all, especially to the household of faith, so especially to the Christian family. But we should be concerned particularly for the Christian poor around the world because insofar as we do not care for them, we do not bear good, helpful witness to the reality of the Lord Jesus. We can keep going. There's a principle in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 that amongst God's people globally there is to be a principle of equality. Paul in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, he's, I mean, you think of Paul as the great church planter, right? Which he was, went around proclaiming gospel, proclaiming churches. He was also very concerned for the poor, Christian poor around the world. And he actually, as he went around planting churches, he would also do these collections. And in this particular case, he's doing a collection for the poor saints back in Jerusalem. And what he's saying to them is, what God intends is that there not be some who have an abundance and others who are in desperate need. God's intention, he says, is that there be equality. So that out of your present abundance, you might meet those who are in need. And that at some future time, if you are in need... You won't be provided for by your wise saving, your shrewd investment of funds into your bank account. That means that you are never in need. No, you'll be provided for in that day by their abundance. Financial interdependence. Premised on faith. Trusting God. That there's meant to be equality. When you think about the Christian poor the 200 plus million who live in abject poverty? Does the principle of equality trouble you a bit? Troubles me. We should be troubled by it. There's another principle. You can go to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, see a specific uh, instruction to the rich. Now you go, well, I'm not rich. Uh, go to globalrichlist.com, I think it's .com, might be .org, whatever. Type in your family's income, the household in which you live. 
type in for that matter your own income and see where you fall <laughs> in terms of the world's distribution of wealth, you will be shocked. Just a regular graduate from the e, from the Sydney University, you know, 50 grand plus a year, just type that in, you will, you're on the top tiny percentage of the world in terms of money and possessions at your disposal. Right? Don't, don't kid yourself, don't look around in financial terms, look down. By God's grace alone, you are in this position. We are the rich. And there is a command to the rich. Paul says to Timothy, tell the rich, command the rich to be generous and ready to share. In light of it. So, you want to know what it is to be trustworthy in a little, with a little you have? Here it is. Live this out. That's how you be trustworthy in a little, so that in the age to come, you might be trusted with a lot. Okay, I'm going to rapidly wrap up here. The third piece of shrewd investment advice in some ways is at the heart, and I literally mean heart, of it all. Jesus' third piece of shrewd investment advice from verses 13 to 15 is this. Know your master. Know your master. 13 to 15, he says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Notice the Pharisees in the next verse. The Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. They, they thought he was wrong. Right? You can serve God and money. You can love God and serve God and you can accumulate a heap of money for yourself. You could, surely you can be a bit like the rich man who, who, spent, who lived in luxury. Can't, can't you? Why is that really a person? Jesus says you can't do it. You're going to love one and you will hate the other. You've got to serve God or you're serving and he, he sort of turns it into a divinity or money. Notice all the way through this chapter, we are only ever talked about as stewards. We're only ever managers, right? It's not ours. We're always servants serving somebody. And he says at the heart of it is, who are you serving? Are you serving God or are you serving money? And that will be apparent in how you use the money that God has entrusted to you. There's some examples actually um, later on in Luke's Gospel and you can read them later. In light of what he says here in Luke 16, go away and read Luke 18. Luke 18, 18 to 30, verses 18 to 30, where a rich ruler comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? They have a bit of a conversation and at the end of the day, Jesus says, you're doing great, you're doing great on all these things, there's only one thing you need to do, sell all your possessions, give it all to the poor, come follow me. And the, the guy can't do it. He walks away sad. And Jesus says, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Why is it hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Because they're serving money, not God. You know how you can tell it? That rich guy, it was like this. Think about all the things you own. You own a duster. You own a plastic box. And you, God has entrusted these precious things to you. They don't look precious, but let's, let's think. All the money in your bank account, all your possessions, your computer, your iPad, your iPod, your, all of it. And he's given it to us into our hand. And the question is, are you holding on to it with a closed hand? 
because you're serving money and you're the rich person who's going to walk away sad because you're very rich? Or are you serving God, which means that you have to hold all of that in an open hand? And you say, Lord, I know it's yours. I want to use it your way. There's a story in Luke 19 of Zacchaeus, who is a rich tax collector. And when he realised who Jesus was and Jesus' call on his life, he said to Jesus, Today I give away half my possessions. And if I've ripped anyone off, which he had, I'm going to pay him back four times as amount. This guy was going to go from uber wealthy to quite poor in one day. Are you holding on to it tightly? Serving money? Or are you going to be trustworthy? Hold on to it with an open hand. Now, I'll be honest, Jesus has not said to you or to me in person, sell all your possessions. Give it to the poor. And being honest, I'm sort of glad he hasn't said it to you. That would be hard. You know what he has said? He said this. How to be trustworthy. He's talked about equality, being generous and ready to share, caring about the poor and drawing our proclamation. He has had a word to us. Do you have it in an open hand? Why don't I pray and ask that God would soften our hearts so that we might hold what is His in an open hand his glory. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that lightens our darkness, that challenges our hearts, that shows us the way to live as your people in your world with your stuff. We pray that you would make us truly shrewd investors who earn a welcome into eternal homes, who are trustworthy now with the little you have given us, who know you as our master, the one true living great loving, faithful God. We pray it in Jesus' name and in the power of your Spirit. Amen. May I just say as you go, if you want to explore these issues further, which I encourage you to do, go to the EU website, log on, go to the media page and look for two talks from Club Veg a couple of years ago on money and possessions. Actually, there's five talks there you can listen to. That would be good. Read Beyond Greed by Brian Rosner. That's a great, helpful read on how to live out some of this practically. Or let's just start reading our Bibles and talking about it together so that we might live for God's glory.